Okay. You can all page with me to Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to read verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Okay, I'm going to be coming back to that. So last week... We started recapping on principles, but we sp spent most of our focus, we did the most important principle of all, which is beginning and end. And uh, then we spent most of our focus and time looking at this threefold chord called value system, principle, and witness. And um, so we said, I'm just going to do a quick recap of how it works. So knowledge or truth or information enters our world, enters our minds, and this then becomes our value system. So we went through a very long process as a fellowship of being taught eternal truths. And as we were taught these eternal truths, in actual fact, on a practical level, what we were teaching was value system. We were all uh, adjusting our value systems to the eternal truths that we were taught. But then we all came to a place where we understood that if it, eternal truths are objective, unchanging, external, and eternal, meaning it's over there, and it is what it is, then we are going to need uh, eternal, external ways of implementing these truths so that we can walk them out. And that's when we started teaching principles. So we taught principles at the beginning of the year with the... Um, purpose of having spiritual principles govern our value systems. So the principles, the spiritual principles, are a practical way of implementing the eternal truths so that they can govern our value systems and in turn our value systems will then govern our witness. So the way we did it, we looked at, for instance at the law of Moses but even in considering the entire word, <clears throat> we understand that behind every law, behind every command of God, when we look through that, we um, encounter these spiritual principles that are eternal. Now, if believers were able to look through the word and discover and formulate and define these eternal principles, these spiritual principles, then we would have a way of returning, repeating, and redoing them which then obviously leads us to the witness. Okay. Um, and so, just so we taught on eternal truths, we taught on principles, and any time that we would ever teach on the body, when we would teach on unity, that would be teaching on the witness, because that is, in essence, what we witness to in the end. 
Okay, so the important thing to remember is that we, uh, we are going to endeavor to identify and formulate spiritual principles in order for the spiritual principles to govern our value systems so that our value systems can become steadfast and unwavering so that our witness can become steadfast and unwavering. So the principles govern the value systems and in turn the value system then governs our witness. Okay, but I think we all got that so I don't have to go any deeper into that. Now, um, a bit of a reality check and this is not to demotivate if anything this is to motivate us. So when God created man, when he created Adam, he created him in his image and his likeness. Okay, so let's call that a godly baseline. This is what man was created. Okay. And then the fall happened, and we know that godliness was lost. And when we look at our process, obviously for us as a fellowship, we have been abundantly blessed with revelation and growth and grace from the Lord in growing and maturing in knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and in many other forms. But the reality check comes in here. Even all the work that the Lord has done, and even as great as it was, has just been Him bringing us back from the fall in a process to bring us back to the godly baseline that we were supposed to be. So we are roundabout over here. We, that's an estimate, okay? <laughs> it's obviously not, this is in fact, this is an estimate. But so the reality check that we want to keep in mind is that even though in our lives we have experienced revelation from the Lord, we have experienced His blessing, we have experienced His grace, and we have experienced, I mean, all of us have grown quite a lot, and we can testify to that in each other, but we don't want to lose focus of the fact that all the work that the Lord is doing is not yet above and beyond what He created us to be. It is still just Him bringing us back to what we were supposed to be in the beginning. Okay. In other words, we say, okay, the Lord is working on knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. But in actual fact, as long as we are underneath this godly baseline, as long as we are still in this process of just getting back to the baseline, it would not yet be God working on our wisdom because we'd need wisdom for God to work on our wisdom. What God is actually working on is our foolishness. Okay. He's not yet working on what we know. He's still working on what we don't know. He's not working on what we already understand. He's what, working on what we don't yet understand. And so this isn't to demotivate. I'm sure you can all see that this is actually supposed to motivate us because there's still so much potential left and because this is just a godly baseline and this is what we were created to be uh, the motivation lies in the fact that it is a hundred percent attainable because it's not above and beyond it's not something special that we're supposed to gain it's not something exceptional that we're supposed to be he's just bringing us back to what we were created to be so we can all we should all get there if that makes sense okay um, okay, but so for us, just an important thing to, to insert here is that we understand that man was created in his image and his likeness and then the fall happened. But then when we were all 
reborn in baptism, died and resurrected. We were, it says we were recreated in his image and his likeness. Okay, so we can just read one or two scriptures that confirm that. Uh, first is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Actually, we can read verse 23 as well. It says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Okay. Then let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 10. Says, And I've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And then we can even include chapter 2 in Colossians verse 6. It says, As you therefore have received Messiah Yahushua the Lord, so walk in him. Okay, now if I can just refer back to the first scripture I read about the, the spirits of Yahweh. Just go back there. So it says, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So when we were recreated, we were recreated in his image and his likeness. And it says that, so in other words, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So the new man, what he recreates us in is actually already perfect. But now he takes us through this process of renewing the mind, actually bringing back to our remembrance, helping us understand what we actually already are. Okay, and for this we know that he also gives us his Holy Spirit. So, it speaks about all the spirits of God, but then it says, this, it ends with the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So who remembers the teaching that we did on the fear of the Lord? So the fear of the Lord, uh, the Hebrew understanding of the fear of the Lord was not to fear God, although there was an element of that. The fear of the Lord actually had to do with a sort of a, a bowel movement. So a movement on the inside of your stomach that you could feel. But it was reference to God moving inside, moving on the inside. So it's not just your body doing funny things. The fear of the Lord would actually be God moving on the inside. And we understand it as the Holy Spirit moving on our insides, unctioning us forward into a movement, into his will, and into his plan, and into his ways. Okay, so the fear of the Lord is actually reference to the Holy Spirit working in us. And we know that it says in Proverbs, it says it on a few places, you can go look for all the scriptures, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So he pours out his Holy Spirit in us, his Holy Spirit moves us from the inside, and takes us through this process of knowledge, becoming understanding, becoming wisdom. Okay, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We cannot have wisdom without knowledge and without understanding. But so now I just want to put something out there and we're also going to come back to this. So we said that as long as I'm in this process moving up back to the godly baseline, God is not yet working on my wisdom. He's still working on my foolishness. Okay, so that means that to the degree that there's something that I don't know, 
that would be the degree to which I do not understand, and that would be the degree of my foolishness. So the same way, in reverse, if we look at knowledge, understanding, wisdom, the same way a lack of knowledge would uh, result in a lack of understanding, and a lack of understanding is a lack of wisdom, which is foolishness. Okay. Can I write? Go for it. <clears throat> Which means that our conforming process is really just bringing us back to this godly baseline. Mm. All right. So, if we think about this, let us consider for a moment what conforming means. Um, and if you will page with me to Romans 12 verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so for a moment I'm just going to look at the word conforming and what it means. So the word conforming is derived from a Latin word, um, conformer, con being um, to form, uh, to be together, sorry, con being together and formere to form. Okay. So we can see, and then it means of similar type, form into a group, or grouped together. All right. So we can see that conforming spe immediately speaks to separation. It forms you into a group, into a specific type, which links together then with being conspecific. Conspecific being of the same species. Now, when we read, when we see in the word, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I looked a bit at the word transform as well, and trans on its own means to go across, through, or beyond. Mm -hmm. So, across, to be formed across, to move across, which is very cool, because... To not be then conformed or changed to this world according to the world's principle, the basic principles of the world, we are renewed in our minds, renewed in our knowledge, in our understanding of who he is, from where we've come and who we actually already are, and being transformed, taken across the border, and living in the Spirit. It's like the Lord intended for the Bible to be written in English. In you see. <laughs> it's almost like he knew. <laughs> okay. Um, so when we okay, so looking at this being transformed and being separated completely, um, we're going to quickly have a look at formulation as well. Okay. So when I try to reconcile conflicting and contrasting ideas, facts, or truths, this leads to me not being able to formulate, okay? Um, formulation forces one to identify the disparity in the detail 
of the information you are taking in. So when you are um, trying to formulate a situation, a thought pattern, um, an idea or a conversation that just had happened, and you are trying to uh, formulate according to basic principles of the world, as well as spiritual principles, you see that it, it cannot be assimilated. Okay, so when you look at the word, and when you take in truth, and you try to, it cannot be assimilated, it cannot be fully be taken in and understood. If you are trying to formulate what you have read in the word and have read to be true, if you are trying to factor in both sides, you cannot do it. And therefore, it can only like remain knowledge. And it cannot become understanding. Because if you do not formulate according to spiritual principles given to us in the word, we cannot start living out the truth. We cannot understand how to start walking out and applying this to our daily lives. Okay. Um, so this, then me this speaks to conformance being conspecific. Conformance being being transformed into a specific group, being fully separated from the one into the other. So if we apply that to basic principles and spiritual principles, as we are conformed, obviously we then move away mm -hmm. from the basic principles to the spiritual principles, completely separated unto the spiritual principles. And if we even combine that with this process, we then see what Silani is saying is that as I'm still moving in between the two, I'm constantly going to try and assimilate. What's the other word for assimilate? Uh, regard as similar lichen. Okay. Or take in fully and understand. Okay, so it's also like be to absorb. Hmm. So I cannot absorb, I cannot bring two ends, I cannot make two ends meet as long as I'm still in between, my boat is still hovering between the two principles. So in my conforming process, I'm being not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of my mind until the only thing that is in here is the eternal truths and the spiritual principles. And then I'm also conformed and conspecific back to the image and likeness of God. We see how this process works. Okay. But so obviously this is where formulation comes in very heavily. Because unless I formulate and sit down and think about what is coming in, how am I going to know where it's going or where it's coming from? Okay. So now if we look at this, so we obviously, so today there's going to be quite a theme of progression and continuance and moving forward. We can already see there's a, a movement happening. Okay. So even if we look at the word itself, the Bible, in its construction, the Lord in his abundant wisdom has not just uh, given us revelation in terms of the specific words and the specific letters, but even if we look at the construction of the word, the way it's put together, <clears throat> even within that, there's a mystery. So we see that it starts out with the Torah, the law. Okay? Then it goes through the prophets who all witness and confirm the law, but they also are witnessing to that which is to come. Okay? Then it moves across into the Gospels, which ushers in the dispensation of grace, uh, which then moves on to the letters of instruction. But if we just focus on the New Testament construction specifically, 
we see that it starts out with the Gospels. And we obviously know that this is the witness, the testimony of Yahushua walking the earth. But if we for a moment just consider the New Testament from the disciples who were there, point of view, the Gospels would not just be the witness and testimony of Yahushua, but this would be a testimony to them, the record of them witnessing the Lord while on earth. So they'll witness to the way he speaks, the way he walks, the way he prays, the way he stays in the plan and everything he does. They witness and they learn for three years and the Gospels are the, the record of that. And then it moves over and it goes into the letters of instruction. But in between the Gospels and the letters of instruction, there's a book called the Acts. And this is very, very important. It's very significant that it's there. Because it also uh, demonstrates to us the progression of the disciples' walk. So they started out witnessing to the Lord's walk, witnessing to the way the Lord speaks and acts and does everything. But from there, they don't just directly go into, oh, I've witnessed what the Lord has done and then start giving instructions. No, there's a time period where they themselves have to walk out what they have learned. They have to walk in the testimony and in the witness of what they had learned from the Lord. And this is very important because if they did, if they skipped this step, if the book of Acts wasn't there, then it wouldn't add the authority necessary for them to be able to instruct the rest of the body. So because of their witness, because of the fact that they witnessed to Yahushua and then had the testimony that they had the witness in themselves and they could walk the road, it gave them the authority to be able to instruct others, but not just from what they knew or understood, but from a wisdom point of view, from a witness point of view, they were able to instruct the rest of the body. Okay, so we see that even in that, there is a progression. So, um, if we just look, James, for instance, says, let's go to James. Mm -hmm. Okay, James chapter 1, let's read verse 21 and 22, but we're going to focus on verse 22, but verse 21 also fits in today, so I'm going to slide it in there. So James chapter 1 verse 21, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive, now oh, this is, in, look at what, how he writes this, and receive with meekness the implanted word. <coughs> receive with meekness the implanted word, which is basically the same as what we said here. So it says, and put on the new man who is renewed, according to the image of God, who has been created in the image of God, according to God and true righteousness and holiness. So even though the new man is there in his perfection, we still have to go through this process of putting on the new man. Okay, this is the same thing. It says receive with meekness the word that is already implanted. So when I receive the Holy Spirit, is there any way that I could not receive the entire word along with him? If he is the fullness, then when I received the Holy Spirit, I had to receive the fullness. Okay, so the process that we're looking at today is that entering into what has already been given. Okay, but so just that's a side note. Which is able to save your souls. 
Now keep salvation even in mind there. Okay, but this is where we want to go. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And this is where we bring it back to the disciples' walk. So we also don't want to just be hearers of the word. We don't want just knowledge, but we want to go through the process of, to, of becoming doers of the word. So just because my value system has been adjusted does not mean I'm yet able to walk it out. So we see how all of this fits mm. together. So I can be a hearer of the word. I can be a believer of the word. I'm not necessarily yet a doer of the word. Okay, but the point is to be a doer of the word. And then James says in chapter 2, Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Okay, now obviously we did a whole series on works, so we understand the context of works here. This is adding action. Wisdom is not just knowing or understanding what to do, but it's having the courage and the virtue and the ability to do what you have to do. Okay, the witness is walking out the process. Okay, there's action to it. So this is the works that it's referring to. Okay. <clears throat> so for the rest of the day, we're going to be applying full measures to everything, which we always usually do, but we just want to be aware. So what we're looking at now, just before we start reading the scriptures, is we're looking at this, at this process, but from a, a bird's eye view. Okay, so we start out this process, but we start out the process, why? Because we are called mm -hmm. by God. So there's a call, and faith is given, and we respond, and that's the start of the process. But for, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at what is this call? What, what are we called to? How does it work? What is the process? Where do we end? Okay. So let's read just a few scriptures. Yes. Did anyone, do you have, if I say, oh, we called. They're like, oh yeah, I know. Know what that means. So it's not that you have to, have to actively think, oh, yes, I know what that means. But when, I, when we speak about the call of God, there's not a, in your mind, you don't go, oh, what is that? Okay. Has the call, if you think of the call of God, if you bring it to your frontal lobe and you look at it, so you take it out and you look at it, what is it? Does it have four? Is it defined? Is it formulated? What is the call? How does it work? What are we called to? Is it a critical <coughs> moment, key moment? Because this is what we are trying to manifest so that we can look at it. So we're trying to give form to something that's going to help us understand why we miss things. And she said we're going to look at the call of God because that's how our walk starts. What I suspect would happen to most believers is we go like, I know, I know about the call. But yet we never formulated what it is. We never gave it substance and form. Yet we somehow think, okay, I know that. And then what the danger is, the pitfall is, we can go like, okay, we're going 
we're going to, we're going to, they're going to know, they're now going to speak about something that's familiar to me. Mm. I already know this. So what can happen? This is what we're going to look at. What can happen? Okay. So let's go to, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So obviously if we go through the word, we see that um, much as we have, you know, sometimes they write, we have um, the gospel of Messiah, the gospel of grace, the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel. It seems like they're different gospels, but it's all, uh, all pointing to the same thing from different directions. And so when we talk about the call of God, we know that from the word it has much the same effect. So there might be in, in the words, it seems like there's a call to this and a call to that, but it's all pointing to the same thing from different directions. So ultimately we understand that God calls us to salvation. Ultimately, because big picture. We can also say it's God calling us to himself. Okay, so keep that in mind. We're working, we're working with our process. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you want to read for us verse yes. 2? All right. So, 6 verse 2. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to come back to that scripture now. Mm -hmm. So obviously, if God calls us to salvation, if God calls us to him, Sulani, how mm -hmm. does that process work? So if <clears throat> when the Lord calls us to salvation and he calls us to him, you have to go through a process of conforming to come to him. And we come to him through his son, through Messiah, through Yahushua. Remember, he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. So automatically in, the, in God calling us to Him, we cannot bypass Yahushua. No. Okay. Okay. So how do we come through Yahushua to the Father? We go through the baptism waters, we die to ourselves, we are resurrected into Him, and now we live His life on this earth. Okay. But we've just said that when He calls us to salvation, big picture, it is a eternal thing right because imagine for a moment after you have come to him you immediately were allowed to go to him you immediately were allowed to be with him right now in your saved and filled with the holy spirit but still kind of in your imperfection imperfection state state of imperfection imagine right? that for a moment he saves you and then goes like come on and now you there practically that would be a bit embarrassing, to say the least. <laughs> yes. Okay, we haven't even touched on fear yet. Okay. Okay. So, not a great picture. Arriving there just after baptism. Like, okay. At least I've got a white dress. I'm ready. But, uh, <laughs> the unfortunate thing is that everyone can see straight through you. Yes. Okay. So the effects of this, what would the effects of this be if we arrive there, we like 
fresh out, like here, we're ready, we haven't learned anything, we've actually just come to surrender, okay? The results would cause the Lord, as soon as you, as soon as you fall back into your old ways, or your old man, which we know is not very difficult, especially in the beginning, yeah. He would have to kick you out. I mean, you cannot stay there again. at all. Like, and that'd be bad, that'd be really bad, okay? But lucky for us, he left us on earth with an entire process, a an lifetime. entire lifetime to walk out this process he has put in place for us, to be conformed to him, to be renewed, and to be who we actually were supposed to be. Okay, we see this is grace. So the Lord doesn't just, you're saved, come on, now you're with me. No, thank goodness. He leaves us on earth to learn, to implement principles, to renew our mind, minds, to be conformed into his image and into his likeness. Okay. But now when we look at this scripture, it says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Now, the day of salvation, we, we've spoken about this. We know that not just out in the church world or in the general broader sense of the world, but even in our minds, to some extent, it's nice and comforting to pinpoint a moment of salvation. Mm. So we have ministered very intensely against this idea of, oh, that moment, that day I was saved. And it's not that we disqualify having um, an experience with the Lord of Him pulling you closer, bringing you into Him. And we do, we do acknowledge a moment of baptism of dying and being resurrected but this says if we continue it says behold now is the accepted time behold now is the day of salvation <coughs> now this was written in a way that this will never pinpoint or be uh, anchored to a specific day to a specific moment because the way it's written, if I read this today and I say, behold, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation, then we're looking at the 1st of December, 2019. But when Paul wrote this, whichever year and day that was, on that day, it was also true because he wrote, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. Which means, and we know this, confirmed throughout Scripture, salvation is not just a moment of, oh, now we are saved. It is actually an entire process. You are not saved until you are saved. Because let's think about it. What qualifies us as being saved? Is it just our sins are forgiven, so now we're washed clean, so now we're saved? Remember when we did the helmet of salvation? That's when we really started teaching on salvation. We taught that to, uh, salvation comes from the idea of salvage. So the ship, the Titan Titanic for instance, sank. And with it, all the artifacts and objects and things that were on the ship. And then years later, they send in a submarine. And they start fishing out all these things. And they bring it to the surface. And now the salvaging process is bringing that thing which is now rotten and rusted and full of algae and abalone and who knows what to now salvage that is to bring it as far back as possible to its original state 
Did anyone catch what I said there? Okay, we're on the same level here. No, huh? Okay, Okay, so the process of salvaging is not just, oh, you're clean, no more sins for you. It's so much greater than that. It is this entire process of God bringing us back, recreating us, helping us in this process of coming back to what we were created to be and not just, oh, good, now we've washed the dirt off your face. Okay, so it's not just the white dress, it's the inside as well. All right. <clears throat> so, if this is true, where am I here? Okay, so if this is true, if every moment, that's, this means that every morning when I open my eyes, I'm again in the process of salvation. Because I'm only, according to scripture, being saved is when I've reached perfection, when I've finished the road, when I've come to the end of what has been prepared for me. Okay, that's why we are in this process. So every day when I open up my eyes and it's a new morning, I am again in my day of salvation. Every moment, moving from moment to moment, I am again finding myself in my moment of salvation. So can we afford to miss a moment of what the Lord is doing in our day? Can we afford to take off a day or two and just think, you know, maybe like the process, I just need to rest a while. If every day is the day of our salvation, can we afford to, for a moment, take a break or not understand or not be able to formulate or identify what it is that the Lord is doing in that moment of our salvation, on that day of our salvation? Okay, which is why today has such an indirect focus, but huge focus on progression and continuance. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, so do you want to bring us back to formulation? And yes. Okay. This is, please, this is important. <laughs> All right. So um, looking at what Nadia just said, um, illuminating the fact that every moment, every day of our lives, in fact, are part of the salvation, is the start of our salvation, is the day of salvation for us. It is very important for us to start implementing formulation and to understand the importance and the prudence thereof. Okay, so to formulate, I'm just quickly going to recap what they said about formulation, just those three things. Uh, they said identify, formulate, communicate. Okay, we saw with formulation that as soon as you implement formulation in any aspect of your life, it gives immediate structure an immediate form. There's no fluffies, there's no I don't understand, I don't know. There's a sure structure set in place. Okay. Um, this is so cool because this really allows you to implement every single principle there is. Because you can go back, identify where is my flaw, where am I not applying a principle. Why is the outcome not as desired? Okay, so I'm quickly going to take us back to here because as soon as you start to formulate, you have to, in essence, start formulating your value system. Okay, because you're, okay, 
I'm going to take it back real quickly. Why would we start to formulate our value system? We would only start to formulate our value system once we have realized that our witness, in fact, is not what we thought it was. Our witness, in fact, is not what we believe the word says. Our witness is not depicting what the Lord has commanded me to be and walk out. And once we have identified this, you see, identify. You have to go back. You have to formulate, why is this not true? What is my value system and what am I basing my value system on? This immediately takes you back and forces you, thank you, to, <laughs> um, to see, am I still trying to use this, uh, these two things, the basic principle of the world and the spiritual principles? Am I trying to assimilate information, but still trying to factor in both of these principles? Okay. Um, as soon as, okay, so as soon as you start to look at this, and you can, I mean, it's a sure fact, it's not that you can miss that you are, you still are clinging onto a basic principle. It's impossible, you will know, because it's not going to make sense. Okay? So, do we understand that when we don't understand, it is because we are not implementing spiritual principles. It is because we are still, in fact, holding on to some sort of worldly principle. Can you please say that again? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Do we realize, as soon as I do not understand, it is because I am not implementing a spiritual principle. I am, in fact, still holding on to a basic principle. This is so important because this comes back to the Word of God. This comes back to every day, to when we are reading, when we in fact are sitting here in fellowship. If we walk out today saying, I didn't understand, it is because we have not implemented a spiritual principle. Okay. Okay. So I shared on Thursday, really quickly, that at a point in my life, I realized that, in fact, my witness wasn't received by others as I thought I was depicting it. They were associating with me, which was strange. And I had to, I had to go back and evaluate why this is. I had to go back and formulate what am I not doing? that my witness, in fact, is not reflecting what I know I believe. Because it wasn't that I was not believing that the word is true. It wasn't that I wasn't desiring for the word, in fact, to be true. This was, my heart was here. This is what I wanted it to be. But my witness wasn't that. And I realized that I, in fact, I, it's easy to identify faults or flaws or identify shortcomings. It's very easy to do that. We do that without wanting to. Okay? But if we do not go and formulate this, if we do not go and formulate the flaw, why is the flaw here? If I don't bring a beginning, if I don't put a beginning and an origin to where it is and an end, 
and I don't formulate what this consists of, what is my mind doing, what do I believe, what am I basing my decisions on, what am I um, basing my actions upon. If I don't give this a form, I can never start at a point and start changing this by, by just implementing a spiritual principle, the basic spiritual principle of beginning and end. Because as soon as I have identified where the principle of the world is coming in, I cannot put an end to it and I cannot start implementing spiritual principles. It's very simple. It's simply just making a, a practical start. Okay. Um, Did it change? It, instant. It was an instant, not even like a day later. I'm not joking when I say it was instant. I literally made a decision, implemented the principle, discarded what I felt, discarded my emotions, paid it no attention, literally just decided, this is the word, this is truth, this is what I'm supposed to do. It was a decision of just starting. Just, I, the, the decision was, ignore what you're feeling and just listen to the word and be joyous in his finished work. It's also a good place to, to bring in the, 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 the key of knowledge if we just do what we have to do. Yes. Um, hmm. Maybe explain what happens when we, when, when often in working hmm. with people, what hmm. can happen? Okay, so, <clears throat> so I've been privileged to uh, be part of many of your spiritual walks and discipleships um, in context to when Monet gives guidance. And, um, and we've picked up on, on, on a certain dynamic. So, and I mean, this isn't this isn't pointing to anyone specific. This is just a dynamic that we've picked up and it comes up with everyone to a more or lesser um, degree. So what happens often is that people come and ask for guidance. So they understand that, so usually there's this uh, beholding, this epiphany of uh, my witness isn't what I thought it was. And this takes different shapes or forms. So it's just, oh, I'm not having the outcome that I've desired, but I believe the word of God and my outcome is something different. So obviously there's something wrong in the middle with the mechanics. And that's usually why we have council sessions. And so they come and ask for guidance. But then what happens is, obviously, we, but Monet usually gives the, the wisdom advice. Um, we've taught this as well. We never have authority over people. We just have authority with people. So we are never in the position, all of us, none of us, are ever in the position where we can command someone to do something. We can advise we can, um, you know, uh, guide, but we can never insist on anyone doing anything specific. So what happens then is that Monet gives uh, him being, and this isn't about him, this is about the position that he fills as apostle and prophet and shepherd over all of us. 
But mm -hmm. in the greater context, this should be true for anyone in a leadership role given by the Lord. Okay. So uh, they come for advice and because he doesn't have authority over people, he would advise or give instruction that he obviously got from the Lord because he's not just going to go, I think this is a good idea and it's not based on, on God's instruction. But because he cannot insist that a person do this one task, it has to come across as advice or a suggestion. And so what we've noticed happens often is that people then receive this instruction, but for various reasons, different reasons, they don't do the task exactly as it was instructed. So they do a form of the task. They go and they implement some form or shape of the task, but it's personalized. There's a bit of a... So I don't want to just do the straight road the way it was given. I'm just going to add something in there or take something out. Just going to change a little, little, a little bit. And then the outcome that is then begotten, the outcome is then not what they expected it to be. And then people are generally surprised because they then, they did what he told them to do. But if we take instruction and we change it just slightly, even if it's the slightest bit, did we really do what we were supposed to do? So to the person it feels like they're doing what was instructed or what was advised, but in actual fact it was changed. And even to the slightest degree, this means that they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And then they don't have the outcome that they expected to have. And now there's disappointment and even to an extent, uh, less trust. So now next time they come back and go, okay, well, what you said didn't work. So let's try something else. This is also a dynamic that keeps coming up. So I didn't have the outcome. Let's, let's try something else. Or I don't want to do what, was I, what I was instructed to do because it just seems difficult or impossible or I just don't want to do it. So give me another answer. Which is also an obvious pitfall because if the Lord has instructed, then the Lord has instructed according to what is best, what is wise, what is good, what is righteous, what is just and fair. Right. But now, if the outcome the previous time wasn't what the person was expecting it to be because they changed the instruction slightly, now next time, when they again receive advice or instruction, because the... F so in their minds, the previous time when they implemented what was instructed, remember to them, they don't... We don't think that, oh, you know, I, I plan on changing this. To the person, they've implemented what was instructed, not realizing that they've changed it slightly. So now next time they come back for advice or counsel, because the previous outcome wasn't what they were expecting, now they think, okay, well, I hear his advice, but because, you know, last time he wasn't really correct in what he instructed, so now I have the right to change it again, because he doesn't really know exactly what I'm supposed to do. He just kind of knows what I'm supposed to do. And because the outcome wasn't what it was supposed to be last time, now I have the right to change it again and again and again because the outcome isn't what it was supposed to be. Does this make sense? So forget about me. Do we do that with thoughts and stuff? Yeah. We can even do this with what we read in the Word. Mm. Yes, I, I see the Word says this, but... I mean, luckily for grace, so I can just tweak it a little bit. Now the outcome isn't what we thought it was supposed to be, so now what? Is the word mm. not true? 
Okay, then there's this dynamic. I, just uh, I, just, I actually just wanted to ask Solani. So, <laughs> Solani, when when you started struggling a little bit <laughs> at one point, and and we spoke, did you go home and immediately implement everything that we advised you? No. Very <laughs> 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 evidently, I did not. <laughs> yeah. Elaborate. This is very important. Yes. It's like the simplest thing, but it can mm. teach us a whole lot. Mm. What happened? I want to know I'll definitely expand on that soon, definitely. Um, so I would come to council session and <laughs> obviously they would give advice and it's not like they give me things to do that's like very spiritual that I need to now go and like figure out a Lord, like, like fast how and then you do I do ask the Lord to take you into no. a trance to it's show like you what to do. The sticky note. The sticky note. They gave me simple instruction uh, to just put a sticky note on your mirror so that you can remember um, the, principle. the principles. So um, I didn't do this for months and it cost me a lot of time and a lot of pain and it wasn't nice. Um, so how and many times did you come back for counseling on that specific area? Like six like, months? Yeah, it was long. But I just want to point out something else. Because um, it was, I mean, it's not like you came back every week with a new thing. No. There were, there were certain, there was an area of overcoming mm. that she was not seeing overcoming. And she would come back session after session. And we are obviously in the position where there's no new instruction every time. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, let's try something mm. else. Because if, if the advice had just come from us, then it would be, okay, give that a go. Let's see mm. what works. Okay, no, that didn't work, so let's try something else. But obviously this came from the Lord. So did you ever grow disappointed or notice the fact that when you came back, we would just give you the same advice, maybe just <laughs> in a different way? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um. Just, ah, oh, we have an idea. It's Try true. this thing. And then she'd go like, uh. <laughs> I don't want to, clearly. <laughs> Give me something else to do. But it's, yeah. and it's exactly that. It never changed. It never, I think, I think what happens in our minds, if I may share this, is we come back and we hope that like, maybe after the fourth time they'll like, feel sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really struggling and then the Lord will just grant you overcoming. Know? And they'll be like, oh, it's okay. And then like, you know, and somehow they'll help me to get through it and to implement it. And, and it's, it's just not what happens and should happen. <laughs> and I think it's also a sense of, you know, we, we're struggling with this issue and surely the Lord will notice that, you know, at least we're we're like struggling with the issue. It's not that we're just ignoring it. We're obviously involved. Yes. And so he will notice our struggle. Mm. And if we just keep struggling, then eventually he will grant us the victory that he promises us in his word. <laughs> so but I'll just also, wake up victorious one day. It's not actually that you wanted the Lord to feel sorry for you. You wanted us to Yes. Yeah. No, I didn't want to mess with the Lord very much. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, you were, you were. I don't know, I think we're going to do something. Yes. Oh, I was. It's going to be a spiritual. <laughs> yeah, we're going to. That's gonna... exactly it. I was thinking if I just, you know, like they must tell me, like spiritual things, that's easy. 
And we're going to pray <laughs> for you. Like, we'll lay hands. Because it's not in my hands. As soon as it's spiritual, hands <laughs> off. It's not me, Tim. And we keep telling you to put a sticky note on the milk. Yes. She goes like, what's that going to do? <laughs> or write down, just write down what happened in the day. Formulate. Just formulate your mm -hmm. day. What was the Lord busy with? Anything. Just what did you notice He is showing you? But it scared me so much because I was so scared I don't hear his voice. What if, what if I don't hear it? So I'm just gonna, hmm. just not gonna do it. Then I won't know if I do or do not. I can continue imagining that maybe I heard his voice and do it in my mind. Okay, so maybe I can bring this back then to practically implementing hmm. uh, these principles and advice that they give us. Um, we've come to a place where we realize that principles are very practical. They're very, very practical. It's not this big spiritual thing, but the effects that it has, has such a big impact on your spiritual life and your walk with the Lord. It is so, it's just such a simple thing. Formulating, it changed, it changed my life. It literally just changed my life because I realized that if I continue to think in my mind, if one continues to think in your mind, you've got this, you heard the Lord, this is what He's doing. But you don't go and you sit down and write it down. You've never given it a beginning. You've never had, you don't have an origin point, a point of origin. So in effect, you cannot return and repeat what He is teaching you and redo it and re-implement it. Because you don't know what it is. You don't know where it started. You can you continue. have an idea. Yes, you can continue to imagine that you have an idea, but how will you know that you've surely returned to, to the beginning, to what he is busy with, and repeating what he is guiding you in? How will you also know, if you don't formulate, how do you know when he's done with his process mm -hmm. and you can move on to the next thing? Mm -hmm. What we've also seen is that mm -hmm. often, and this comes in with the wanting a new solution, is because we want to be done with something the moment we feel like, oh, something's happened, okay, on to the next. And we don't give the Lord time to finish what He started. And so we constantly want the Lord to do new things, but we haven't returned and just finished the first thing that He gave us to do. And then we start to feel stuck, mm -hmm. and like we're not progressing because we aren't, because we're not doing the thing that the Lord started doing. Mm -hmm. We want to do things over there. So God is a God of miracles. Um, but we can fall into the mindset, the habit of just wanting him to do the miracles all the time. Mm -hmm. So he did give them manna because they were in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. The moment that they entered the promised land, that stopped. But also just practically, he gave them the manna, but they had to get up in the morning, go pick up the manna to eat the manna. Before it disappeared as yeah. well. So a uh, bigger picture... Um, in the in the church world, the debate about are you if you're saved are you always saved once saved always saved that debate has been raging for eons. And when I asked uh, when we talk about the call of God, what is the call? What's the call to? That's not been formulated. So there's a huge debate on. If I'm saved, am I always saved? What about the person? When, you, when they were speaking about um, he gives us time on earth for this process, 
The foolish person would go, yeah, but what about the person that dies in a car crash and gives his life to the Lord? See, that would be a foolish response. Why? Because it's not about those things. It's about formulating what did he call us to, to be conformed to his son. So that, that, that doesn't exclude the fact that he can save his children at the last minute, but that wasn't the point of the gospel. It's not why his son came. It's not why he poured out his Holy Spirit. It was for us to be conformed to the image of his son, for his son to be fully formed in us. That's the greater truth behind it. Yes. Is it fair, as we said last week, um, if somebody comes to this picture that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, they start debating about who the neighbor is. Exactly. So it's the same Missing, missing the point. That's what you mean by saying the, the godly, the ungodly never want to go to the principles. They yeah. go on some... Immediately they go to their value system. Now I've got to figure out who my, who my neighbor is. That's not the point. That's value system stuff. Look for the principle. Mm. Now, the, the, the big point here, Solani, mm. uh, that I want us to make sure everybody gets, is that what happens is we're given an instruction. So... Mm. Prayerfully, I'm listening to someone, I say, go do this thing. And then we don't do that thing, and then we can continue having the same issue, the same problem, the same overcoming um, opportunity that we're missing. And why not just remember, uh, Monet told me last time to do that thing, and just go do it. So that's why we implemented the form, the appointment form. Mm -hmm. So when we implemented the appointment form, did you, did you want to avoid that? Oh, yes. <laughs> I think why? I did. Why? <laughs> why did you want to avoid it? Because you didn't go do the one thing. Yes. So now it's difficult to fill in the form. Yeah. Well, because it has a section that says, if this is a follow-up meeting, please let us know <laughs> how you did. And it's like, I didn't do it. <laughs> this is a new, a new thing, so I don't have to fill in this part. <laughs> yeah. oh, and in a sense, we like indulging our flesh. <laughs> not it's in not a sense, like, no, but it's okay, yes, no, <laughs> It's true, we do. I mean, it's not comfortable, it's not nice, and yet we're prone to doing it. We still like to do it. Um, and as soon as the form was implemented, it forces you to go and evaluate, to really evaluate your situation. You no longer have the space to come here and to formulate here and to just kind of discuss, oh, but I'm feeling this and I'm feeling and wada, wada, wada. But as soon as you go to the form, there's no more denying the state you are in. You'll have to see, you will have to implement what has been instructed for an outcome, if you want it to change. Oh, can we reiterate here, right now, what happens when, when we're sitting here and we don't understand something? What happens? Mm. What caused it? Do you want to explain that first? Mm. Can I? Go. Okay, cool. Um, okay, here we go. Okay, so it's actually very simple. If we if we formulate and evaluate the reasons for us not understanding when we sit in fellowship context, when we read the word, when we listen to advice that they give us, 
it's very easy to, under, to come to the conclusion that I was not listening very often. Why would we not be listening? It's very simple. Our minds drifted. Our minds cannot drift to many places. So it has, in fact, drifted to ourselves. It's a very, they are very, it's so easy to fall in this because the thought patterns are so easy to jump up. It's simply thinking, what will I eat after church? It's thinking, I'm a little bit tired. I hope I don't miss anything. You missed it. It's thinking about a conversation that happened yesterday. It's past, but now all of a sudden I'm going through it again in my mind. You missed it. These simple things, anything that distracts your mind from him. And why? What are the things that make us lose focus? Because obviously we don't yes. intentionally lose focus. Yes. Okay, so oftentimes, and it has happened to me as well, we come to fellowship and we think, it's like we said today, we think we understand what they're about to speak of. So we don't feel like it's important enough for us to be paying attention and to hear it again. Because we know, like, I understand it, I know it. We've taught so on faith 30 times, so like, like, I know what faith is by right. now. <laughs> Let's think about lunch. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But you didn't decide to think about lunch. Hmm. The, 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 the trigger was, they're talking about faith again. You don't mm. think it out loud. It's not like you concentrate on the thought. It just goes, in the back of your uh, layers of thoughts, it goes like, Okay, they're speaking about faith. I'm the one that got it last time, so... I've had revelation me. on this every time, so it's fine. The person next to me, if they, if they can just mm. get it, then these people can mm. stop teaching or, on faith. Or baptism. Oh, well, everyone here is already <laughs> baptized. Why are they mm -hmm. doing baptism again? So it's probably for the new guy, so... Let but him just have his moment. They're ministering to him. I'll listen again later. The moment that, you, that something in your mind goes, I know, I understand this, and they're mm. doing it again, Next thing, you're going to think of something else. Mm. And then miss the reason mm. it was said. We, we were okay. teaching that again because we were putting a foundation mm. place for a big revelation that's going to come. Or something new. But now, I'm still thinking about chicken. <laughs> okay, what are okay. some of the other reasons why, we, right. why we drift? Something, I don't know if, if you guys have learned to do this, but it's if we do not come on a Sunday and before we enter in even at home before we start getting ready and we do not put an end to our week that has passed it consumes our minds because we have not put a definite end to it it is easy for it to seep in to what we think when we come in and have not identified when the holy spirit started moving because it's not that he necessarily only moves when inside the room he can start moving at home. He can start moving the night before. And it's not like he stops moving when we end here. Often at times, he can continue moving to, for the entire afternoon, maybe when you get home, after lunch, maybe even until tonight. But we have not identified the beginning and the end. So this is important. It's not just our beginning and end. We also have to identify his beginning and end. because. 
otherwise I might deactivate, switch off, mm. because I'm assuming I'm done. I've gotten what I was supposed to get and don't take into account that he hasn't intended to finish until tomorrow night and now I miss mm. information, I miss revelation. Mm. What else you said about already? Yes, so um, when we don't understand a new concept being presented, often at times it could be because this uh, concept might have already been defined in my mind. And because it is already defined and it differs from that which is being taught today, it is clashing. And I'm not understanding how whatever they are presenting or teaching is fitting in to the rest of the teaching or the rest of my walk. When this happens, it is very important to formulate why is there a clash, why is this concept not coming through, because you are aware you are listening, what is happening here. And you need to go back, you need to formulate what is the concept or the idea I already have of this and is it lining up biblically and if it is not lining up my definition is not lining up biblically it is very important to discard and redefine so I just want to interject here why why we are packing out this not understanding concept mm -hmm. <clears throat> because the moment we utter the words or think the thought we don't understand what we're actually confessing, either out loud or to ourselves, is foolishness. Because if knowledge has to become understanding and understanding has to become wisdom, if we don't understand, then it means there has to be foolishness. Make sense? So the moment we think, oh, I don't understand, we are confessing foolishness. We are moving in foolishness, which means that we will be acting from... A positioning of foolishness mm. so what we're trying to demonstrate and explain is why why there's sometimes a lack of understanding and how to undo that mm. so that we can progress into wisdom and not remain in our foolishness mm. makes sense so it's it seems many times a person would say oh, I don't understand and we we say it from a from a, a victim point of view it's not my fault that I don't understand. Maybe it wasn't explained right or, you know, they didn't keep my attention or something else happened. But it's not my fault that I don't understand. But the fact that I don't understand is going to result in me being foolish. Which means that it cannot be because, okay, so Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this implies that I have a choice about whether I'm going to be wise or unwise. It says, therefore, okay, so let's start verse 15. I'm going to read from verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5. From verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. This is instruction. This isn't, oh, try and see if you can just, you know, rather be wise. That would be better. It says, see then, see then, make sure, be certain that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, redeeming the time. See, now we're back to the progression. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so we're not just unpacking, oh, we want to better understand, we don't want to miss. 
is what we're trying to, to explain today and what we're trying to put the weight on is that as long as we are in a space of not understanding, we are automatically in a space of foolishness. Mm -hmm. Can I? Yes. It's, we realize that we have, we in fact have a responsibility. It's no longer just excusable. It makes me think of our cockroach demonstration last week. We can't just say like, oh, you know, oopsie. I didn't understand. It's not my fault. And now it's not, you have all knowledge. He has, give, he has given you of his spirit. You're all, we are all able to understand fully, to a full degree, what he has given, what he is teaching, what we have received from him. Because remember, it says the new man was created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. Remember, we did this mm -hmm. whole thing. When we were recreated, reborn, we received the entire Holy Spirit. So in actual fact, there's nothing that I'm, that's too high for me, mm -hmm. that I cannot understand. If I do not understand, it's because I chose not to understand. Mm -hmm which is foolishness, mm -hmm. and it will result in foolishness because a lack of understanding results in foolishness. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, then please, James, we, we read out of James, he says, um, do not be hearers of the word, but doers. He also tells us in the beginning how that Yes, happens. yeah. Okay, so, um, <clears throat> I just want to get here. So obviously, okay, so we've looked at a bunch of different reasons for why we don't understand, why we miss things. But now we're going to take a few moments and look at how to counter that. Mm. So what is it that we're supposed to do, principles that we can implement and walk out to ensure that we are progressing into wisdom and having our witness formed, steadfast and stable. Okay, so <clears throat> James chapter 1 starts with a big, a biggie. Because obviously, as we're moving through this process, it's to form a witness. And we said that witness actually becomes equivalent to wisdom. Because wisdom is walking out what I know and understand to be right and good. And so really, this process starts or ends, starts and ends, and moves towards wisdom. So, James chapter 1 says, I'm just going to read from verse 5. Shall I read the whole thing? Let's read the whole thing. I want to read the whole thing. Okay, from verse 2. Almost. Almost had overcoming, but not today. Okay, from verse 2. Okay, from verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let me just take a moment. I, mm -hmm. Like, is everyone aware that James is trying to make a point here? Yeah? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. <laughs> I think he's trying, to, he's trying to push a point through. Okay. If any of you lacks wisdom, and this is where we want to focus. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. <laughs> okay, so this process actually starts, if we know that 
actually this is applicable to every day, but specifically let's just use Sunday meetings or even Thursday meetings, but Sunday meetings as an example. <clears throat> if I want to be sure that I come to a meeting and I don't miss any information or I don't sit in misunderstanding, then I am going to start my day asking the Lord for wisdom. Because I cannot get to wisdom by bypassing knowledge and understanding. So if I ask the Lord to impart to me wisdom and it says that He will, then it means that there has to be knowledge and there has to be understanding. Because knowledge becomes understanding and understanding becomes wisdom. But now it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Okay, but we want to look as let him ask in faith. So this is not just, oh Lord, I want to be wise today. I just don't want to miss out and be the only fool in the room that doesn't understand. This is long term. We ask for wisdom in faith because we are looking towards the finished work. We understand where we are moving towards. We understand where the road ends and we understand why we need the wisdom today. We understand where we need to progress to, where we are going to progress to, and why we need the wisdom from Him. Make sense? Okay. Um, who remembers the teaching we did on responsibility? Mm. Mm. I know Liani remembers it. <laughs> I can sense it from that side of the room. Okay, this is so simple, it's going to take me two minutes. Okay, so responsibility. Responsibility. So responsibility, we think of responsibility and immediately you have this negative kind of, uh, all this weight on my shoulders that I have to carry and walk out in dignity and virtue, you know, prove myself. When actually responsibility is just responding to your ability. So, as I'm moving from this little fall line here towards the godly baseline, obviously when I'm over here, the Lord's not, the Lord's not going to expect me to respond in faith like someone who's over there. Because I haven't grown to there. My wisdom is not yet there. My uh, endurance is not yet there. My perseverance, my self-control... So, the Lord's not going to expect me to respond according to this. He's going to expect from me to respond according to the ability that I do have. Very simple. But what is the implication? What if I have grown in ability and decide not to respond according to it? What if I have grown in wisdom, in knowledge, understanding and wisdom, and I don't respond according to what the Lord has given me or according to my growth. Usually, we see that someone for a while is able to implement something so they show a certain amount of maturity and wisdom, and then it seems like they lose it. Now, obviously, this cannot, you cannot grow and then just lose your growth, right? So when this happens, when it seems like someone has been walking and they've been progressing and now, they get to, to here, but now all of a sudden they act like someone is over there. Now, it's no longer an excuse of, oh, I didn't understand or I wasn't able. Now it just becomes disobedience. Okay, 
So responsibility is motivating in the sense that the Lord is not going to expect more from us than what we are able, but he is also not going to expect less from us than what we are able. And that's always important to keep in mind. So if I've proven that I can walk in a certain level of maturity and wisdom, then to not walk according to that, to not continue in that, would be not just foolishness, but disobedience. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Let's go to the seeds. This is in Matthew chapter 13. Okay, so before we start reading, did anybody realize we are doing for the first time ever a self help? Of course. Okay, before we go directly into this piece of scripture, um, okay, we have formulated something on the page, so I'm going to read it out loud to you. Okay, so. Progression and continuance and incorporating it into our daily routine goes hand in hand with planning. Planning ahead and being proactive. Okay. Developing vision goes hand in hand with understanding. And planning and envisioning the harvest goes hand in hand with the principle of sowing seed. So what am I saying? So if I know that I want... Okay. Is there any way that I'm going to progress to a point if I don't know where I'm supposed to progress to? So, oh, the Lord is doing a great work in me and I'm growing. Oh, what's he doing? I don't know, but I feel that it's great. <laughs> and I'm sure the results will be evident soon. Okay, so we cannot progress. How am I supposed to walk towards a point if I don't know what that point is? So I might finish, I might stop short, so I'm on my road, here I am, on my road of spiritual growth, walking, 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 and the Lord has predestined for me to get to a certain point at a certain time. Now I go, oh, this is growing, it's great. Oh, I've arrived. <laughs> Where have you arrived? I don't know, but I'm definitely not here anymore, so it must be it. Right, so we might stop short, or we might run ahead. So not actually finish what we were supposed to do and go like, oh, I'm going on to the next thing. I want to, I want to move here. This is boring. I want to be there. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but it's what it's we do. So, so we have one victorious day. So say we're struggling and overcoming. So Sulani, mm. you, can, you can witness to this. Okay. So, no, but no, it's good. We're not picking on her. She's <laughs> overcome. Okay. So, her witness is intact. So, we might be struggling in a certain area with overcoming. Now we have one successful day. Okay. Oh, I've gone through this day and I've not thought about it. I've not struggled with it. I've been able to stay in thanksgiving and in rest. Victory. So now I no longer have to worry. On to the next because now I've done this level and I'm going to go to the next level. And then tomorrow, I'm trying to finish two levels at once. Okay. So all of that. So obviously, so what I'm trying to say is if we are going to move towards a point, then we need to know where that point is. Mm. Now, much the same, 
if I'm expecting, so if I can, like Silani said, if I can formulate and understand what it is the Lord's doing and where I'm supposed to end, now I can understand what fruit I can expect. So the Lord, luckily, from His side, is not working at all of our faults at once, because if that were the case, then we would be ripped to shreds very quickly. So He tends to work on one or two things at a time, because we can't really handle more than that at once. One issue is usually enough for us, and many times we just struggle with maintaining the one. So, <clears throat> so if we understand, if we are able to formulate, identify and formulate and understand what it is that the Lord is doing, then we can understand not only where we are supposed to end, but we can understand the fruit that is supposed to be there when we get there. Okay. But now, if we think of a farmer, if he wants... If he decides, okay, he wants a, a certain harvest of corn, and he just goes, okay, well, I want corn, so happy days. Let's wait for the corn. I've finished the ground, I've tilled the ground, but he doesn't sow any seeds. He can wait in faith for the corn to grow, but the corn isn't going to grow because he hasn't sown the corn seeds. Mm -hmm. He also cannot sow any other seeds because if he sows the seeds sows wheat, then he's going to get wheat and not corn. This speaks to uh, sometimes and often we, we've all done it, where we, 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 we want a harvest and we want mm. certain things to be put in place in our lives, but because we're unsure or double-minded, we're just going to wait on the Lord. Um, so imagine the farmer says, well, I know it's planting season, Mm. But I'm still going to pray about the when to sow the seed. The Lord will instruct me. Okay. So, why is this important to understand? There's basic principles for planting your corn. Um, good farming practices that has been established. Okay. So the first rains come. Okay, like I haven't received an answer from the Lord yet. Second rains, third rains of the season. Other farmers are saying, why haven't you planted your seed? Well, I'm still waiting on the Lord. Because he's a man of faith. And the laughing stock of the district. So I'm not saying we don't pray about things, we don't wait on the Holy Spirit, but there's certain things that has to be done. Okay, so there's a certain time to till you till the ground has to be ready. And there's sound practices for farming. So I'm not saying don't be prayerful in it. Find wisdom from the Lord for what you need to do. But by a certain time, the seed has to be in the ground. Get the picture? Okay, so now let's move over to this parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. But let's just read the, the parable explained, because we all know how the parable goes. So we're going to read from verse 18. <clears throat> and now obviously keep in mind everything we've taught today and before. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Now, I'm sure most of us, when we read this parable, we've gotten to a place where we go, oh, luckily I'm the guy with the good ground. So my seed yielded a crop probably the hundred, on the hundredfold. Like not even this, I'm the hundredfold. This ground has been told. It's ready. Then we sit in a teaching and we have a moment of, I don't understand what's happening. Which means that the seeds that were sown were sown by the wayside. But practically what happens, it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, what happens then? Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And now we've said that we are not victims of not understanding. We are perpetrators of not understanding because we have not been implementing the principles necessary to understand. Which means that the moment I go, I don't understand, either thinking it or saying it, I don't understand. It's literally going like, here you go, they're my seeds. I don't need them today. Thank you very much. This doesn't just apply to the person that said, I don't understand. Mm. It applies to the one that didn't actually check if mm. he understood. Mm. So heroes of the word walking away, not formulating that I understand this word, that I understand the principles, that I understand the application for the scripture. Am I understanding what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me about? Am I understanding what the Holy Spirit is doing with the body right now because I'm part of it? If we didn't check if we understood, the enemy will just come and go like, give me your seed, please. Mm. Mine. Okay. So let's just read through the rest of it. <clears throat> Verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So this would be equivalent to, I can hear it, I can identify it, I can know it, and maybe even to a certain degree understand it, but um, both implementing spiritual principles and basic principles. Or I'm trying to fit it in with what I already know. So this isn't not this isn't not understanding. This is having no root. Says, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. So this would be, we said. Remember, because it says when tribulation arises or persecution arises, this is like the guy in the boat. Mm -hmm whose rope is either tied to basic principles or not tied at all. And you can only have the one rope, so you cannot tie them to both, and then this would cause you to become shaky. Make sense? <clears throat> Verse 22. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. This is 100% basic principles of the world. Mm -hmm. okay. But he received seed on the good ground. 
is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces. So, who hears the word and understands it and bears fruit. Okay. Um, now, do I have anything other practical to do? Can I do the living God thing? Okay. Hmm. Let's go to Hebrews chapter verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I can stop there. Let's take a moment and do the thing that we now have learned to do and think about what it says in verse 12. What does it mean when he says, Beware, Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. What is that departing from the living God? What is he referring to? Think about it. What has it meant for you thus far, if it has meant anything thus far? Okay, so obviously this is written in context to, and the Israelite nation was obviously the example. So it's referring to what they did. So, obviously... They never got to a stage where they actually packed their bags and left God. They threatened to do it a bunch of times. They were constantly threatening to pack their bags, go back to Egypt, go back to the meat, go back there. But they never actually got to a point where they did it. So it's not like they went by God. See you never later, maybe. They never actually packed their bags and left. And yet it says this is reference to them departing from the living God. So we just think about their process and what happened to them. It wasn't that they ever got to a point where they walked away from God or denied God or stopped moving with God. They just, we understand from the whole context of chapter 3 and 4, what they did is that they never progressed into His promises. They never progressed into perfection. They never entered, got to the point where they actually entered into that which, which he had prepared for them. So it's not that they stopped and, you know, denied God and denied the faith and walked away. They just didn't progress. They just didn't keep moving into what he had prepared. 
Okay, so for us, <clears throat> in understanding this and understanding how it applies and to make sure that we don't do the same thing, we're going to have to define one or two things here. So it says departing from the living God. The living God. Now it might seem like an obvious statement to make because we know that he has life in him, so obviously that must be why he's referring to the living God. But this is one of those scriptures where there's a, a little word inserted that unfolds an entire mystery. Why is it referring to the living God? Why, not, why is it not just saying departing from Yahweh? Or departing from the Almighty God? Or departing from the Father? Why is specific reverence to the living God? So let's think about this. We, st we can start with an example. So would I be able to define light if there was no, no such concept as darkness. No. So light would still be light, but it would be a non-issue to try and define it if darkness doesn't exist. So I can define light, I can know light because there is darkness, there is something else, something other, something opposite, something contrary. So, if this is referring to the living God, we know he is living, he has life, because he has overcome death. Living becomes only important if it, has to, if it is compared to death. Otherwise, if death was a non-issue, then the living would also be a non-issue. Makes sense. So... <clears throat> So now let's think, when then, so if he is the living God because he overcame death, then this had to happen at resurrection. So he became the living God when he was resurrected. And here's where we get to the real crunch. When he was resurrected, was it just him? So it says the living God, and he's the living God because he overcame death and he was resurrected. But when he was resurrected, was it only him that was resurrected? So, if we refer to the living God, what exactly are we referring to? Okay, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 22 and 23. It says, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now, if it had just ended there, if it had just said, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, then that would still be a magnificent truth, but it would just leave us with, ah, oh, the assembly is his body, and that's great. But he is still the head, and we are the body. Which is a great truth in itself, and I'm not making that less than it is, but it doesn't stop there. It adds, it says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I'm going to read it again. Think about what this is saying. 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And now let's take it back to the living God. So, he became the living God when he overcame death and he was resurrected. But when he was resurrected, he was resurrected with his entire body. Which means that the living God is not just a reference to him having overcome death. It is a reference to him and his body having overcome death. And this says that his body is the fullness of him who falls all in all. Okay, I know this sounds big. So what, what are we looking at? So we're not just looking at... We're not just looking at the Almighty God. We're not just looking at one aspect of Him. We are looking at something very specific. The living God we understand, let me take it from this angle. We know the living God as the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not just a separate entity, separate person of God, the third person of the triunion. The Holy Spirit is the sum total of the Father and the Son and His body and the body all in resurrection, all in eternal life. Okay. Can I, would you say that again? Because that's really big. When I heard that okay. the first time it was big, I think it's... So the Holy Spirit, so we, we, we know that there is the doctrine of the, either the Trinity or even the Triunion that to some extent defines the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as three persons, but they're all the same God and there are variations around that. <clears throat> but we have taught on in the Spirit, and we have taught on the reality of what the Spirit is. So the Holy Spirit is not just, it is the person of God and it is God with us, but it is not just a third person of the triunion of God moving along with us. Because when everything is said and done and when all the work is finished, all things are reconciled in the Spirit. All things exist in the Spirit. So the kingdom, the new Jerusalem, is where? In the Spirit. So the Spirit cannot, the Holy Spirit cannot be living in the city with everyone else when everything is in the Spirit. Okay, I don't want to labor this too much because I don't want to bow stuff up. But so everything, when everything is done, when all the work is finished, when all of this creation is passed away, what are we left with? In the Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. So not just... It's not in the spiritual realm. When it reads in the spirit, it's not just saying, oh, in the spiritual realm where the spiritual things are. It actually means in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not just the third person of God. He is the sum total of the Father, the Son, and the body, because all things exist and consist in the spirit. Okay, so when we refer to the living God, we refer to, we are referring to the Holy Spirit. We understand it as the Holy Spirit because it is the sum total of the Father and the Son and the body all in resurrection. So it's not just referring to God and we're over here and we can depart from God because we're over here and he's over there. Okay, so what does it mean to depart from the living God? It's not just me turning my back, he's over there, I'm over here by God walking away 
And we said now that it's definitely not the action of walking away because the Israelites never packed their bags and walked away. They never actually left God or abandoned God. They just didn't progress into his promises. So if we take that and we take the truth of the living God and we apply it to where we are, basically it comes down to this. Departing from the living God is departing from the truth and the reality of his finished work, is departing from the truth and the reality of his perfect body in completion being God. I'm going to say it again. It sounds complicated. If you write it down, it makes more sense. Just a tip. So departing from the living God is departing from the truth and the reality of his perfect body in completion being God. So it's not just, it's not even as simple as just, as just, walking away from the truth of one man because I think that's what's happened in our minds we think of oh, everything together as one one man so if I don't accept one man if I don't you know walk according to one man but that I think we're in danger of even making that less than what it is so we're trying to not redefine it but bring a new aspect a new light to this so one man isn't just oh we're all one his body in perfection, in completion, together with him in his finished work, is the fullness of him who falls all in all. So, and now we said departing is not turning away and walking away, it's not progressing into. So, departing from the living God is not us rejecting the truth of his finished work. It's not a believer or any person rejecting the truth of his perfect, perfect body in completion. It's just not progressing into the reality and the truth of his perfect body in completion. Today. Today. And that's where I want to get to. So now we see the same thing happening in, in the scripture in Hebrews. So remember we read the scripture that says, Now, today is the day of your salvation, Lord. No? And it's, the scripture starts out the same way, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, today, if you will hear his voice. And it says, as the Holy Spirit says, so now we go back to linking that with the living God. As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice. Now, when is today? Was it the day when they wrote this? Well, now we have a problem because even this was a reference back to when the Holy Spirit actually said it. So now we're back thousands of years. So that day... I had to hear his voice. Luckily, I wasn't born, so it's not applicable to me. Now, see, this is one of those scriptures that were written in a specific way because it's true every day. So every day we are in this process of being conformed. Every day we are in this process of progressing into the truth of the living God. Every day we are in the process and progressing into the truth, into the reality of his finished work. And every day we're progressing back to his image and likeness being conformed, formed together into the image of his son. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Before we go to the 
cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses, all the seed redeemed in him, witnessing to the perfect will of the Father, the praise of his glory, his begotten Son and their unity and the finished work. With all their might, all their power, the severity and goodness, all the wisdom, the entire kingdom. That's what moves upon a believer when the Holy Spirit moves. That's why we are encouraging everybody to start progressing into understanding how we walk in context to His holiness. That is why we, when we come into worship, we don't entertain our own thoughts. We worship Him. Because if He's going to move in the room, you've got to understand it's all the glory and the power and the greatness of the Almighty God, all the glory of His Holy Son, the Lord of Hosts, the entire kingdom with the great light of witnesses, the entire New Jerusalem. That's why when worshipping we don't entertain our own thoughts. When uh, fellowshipping around His Word, we don't want to slide into our own silly getting distracted. Why? Why? We don't have to. Because we don't have to depart from the reality of us being in that. That's what He has saved us into. I'm hoping this is starting to make sense. So see why not understanding is foolishness? It becomes very simple to understand. But what we're saying is there's a preparation, there's a kind of return, repeat, redo, all the time. When you open your eyes in the morning, this is the day of salvation. The only way you're going to understand what's happening is by seeking Him for wisdom. First order of the day, seek Him for the wisdom, so that you don't miss what He's doing today. Because today is the day of salvation. Uh, I think we can honor um, King David, God's friend, by just closing off with um, his testimony and his witness. Okay, let's go to Psalm 16.
Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrow shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are my portion, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of, your jo of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay. Let's look at what happens here in this seemingly short little psalm and what King David testifies to. <coughs> so he starts out, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my God. So let's look at the progression here. So it starts out with, the individual going, Lord, you are my God. There is the cutting off covenant. I belong to you and you belong to me. The individual to God. And then it <coughs> progresses to him saying, so he says, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. So obviously, the moment we start beholding the Lord, so Lord, you are my Lord, you are my God. We start beholding, we understand that once that connection has been made, responded in faith, his righteousness is imputed. Anything that I have, any goodness that is in me, any godliness that is in me, is because of him. It's coming from him, not from me. But if I'm going to behold him, and if that is true for me, and my righteousness is coming from him, and my goodness and my godliness is coming from him, and he is your God, then it is true that your righteousness and your godliness and your goodness is also coming from him. So what happens? Immediately from here it goes, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Because it would be impossible to behold the Lord for long and not start beholding his body. So the revelation goes, Lord, you are my God. I belong to you. You belong to me. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Everything comes from you and consists in you. 
And so now I understand that this is true for your entire body. And the more I behold you, the more I will behold your body and understand that they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So I will delight in the truth of his body. I will delight in the truth of his finished work. Not just the fact that he is my God and I belong to him and he belongs to me, but that there is the truth of the body. <clears throat> then verse 4, which I'm not going to read, all of it, immediately also speaks to the separation. Separation from all worldly things, separation from all other things, separation from all the basic principles of the world, to leave all of that behind because there is a better inheritance. O oh Lord, verse 5, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. And he writes this very interestingly. Because the inheritance, we understand, is not the inheritance here. He has already said that they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So the progression goes to my inheritance is that which is waiting for me in the heavens. It is eternal. It's an eternity mindset. I'm looking towards the finished work and understand that when I finish this road, that is what is waiting for me. And then he says, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. And my cup, which is so interesting because he's, he's in one sentence, in one verse, he's going to eternally what is true and what is waiting for me there. But also the inheritance on earth would manifest as the cup. Mm -hmm. I will walk out my inheritance here. I will walk out my part on the earth by drinking the cup that you have prepared for me for my life as he also had to drink the cup I hope we can all see that so even though I have an eternal inheritance on my in my walk on earth it will manifest as me taking up the cup walking as he walked living sacrifices mm -hmm. <clears throat> you maintain my lot you maintain my lot the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. And now here we see this final progression. So he's been beholding the Lord. It's grown. It has manifested in his life in different ways. But now, as he sets the Lord before him, and this is a full measure, this is always, I have set the Lord before me. I'm not intending to take him away again. I'm not intending to move my sights away again. I've set the Lord before me, always ever before me, walking, beholding him, moving towards him, towards that which I behold. And now see what happens. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. What does that mean? Because he is at my right hand. Who is where? <laughs> what is David's positioning as he utters these words? Because he is at my right hand. What has just happened to David? Obviously the Lord, I've set the Lord always before me. 
because he is at my right hand, the Lord is definitely not going to leave his throne at the right hand of majesty to come and be at my right hand. But he is at the right hand of majesty. And David has set the Lord always before him. And so now David is perceiving the Lord to be at his right hand, which means where is David? What has happened to David? Let's continue reading. It will become clear. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not my, leave my soul in Sheol. What has happened? Who is speaking? Is this David speaking? Is he speaking as David? He is gone, full Messiah. He, David is no more. He's gone through the progression. He's beheld the Lord. He's beheld his body. He's been separated. He has set the Lord always before him. And now he has progressed to the place where he is no more. The Lord is always at his right hand and he is living in the truth of Messiah. He is now witnessing to Messiah. David is no more. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. This is the joy of the Lord. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. And this is what we've been looking at today, is the path of life. He will show us the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I hope you can all see the, the progression and the short testimony of faith. <clears throat> and I think we'll leave it there. Anything else you want to do? Okay. Amen. <laughs>